Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Geekish Gas is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast, world's heavyweight champion of geek talk on the internet. I'm your host, Jeremy, and joining me in the co-host position today is Ollie the Panting Greyhound. Our guest today is artist, writer, publisher, film producer, Everett Hartzell. What's happening, Everett? Hey, how's it going? Doing well. How's things with you? <laughs> busy, busy. That's good. Well, it's, you know, busy. better than being bored. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just as a reference for everybody, I your name got dropped on an episode I did a couple months back with uh, Michelle Gray Hartso, and she told me your name, and I was like, God, that sounds really familiar. And she was, well, did you ever hear of a little comic called Razor? And then the entire 1990s came flooding back to me. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this: as somebody who got into writing and drawing and publishing your own comic. I have to assume when you were younger, you were a comic book fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had um, my own collection of comics. I think I started when I was seven, and you know, I loved everything about it. Great uh, escapism, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember building uh, my own uh, magazine rack inside my bedroom just so I can display my comics. You know. I just love looking at the covers, you know, <laughs> like, I just loved it. So, um, I knew young that, uh, I wanted to draw comics. I wanted to tell stories, uh, with, uh, my artwork. And, um, yeah, it was about, I didn't get serious about it until I was like 16. Mm-hmm. And, um, I started going to conventions, uh, since I'm from North Carolina, the Heroes uh, Heroes Comic Con uh, is like the big show in North Carolina, one of the bigger shows on the East Coast. And uh, I remember going there. I was six, uh, seventeen. And I remember uh, an artist. Uh, I guess it was Artist Alley, and I walked past him. And I said, "Well, let me show him some of my stuff." And I don't know who he was or, you know, where he worked or anything like that. I just thought, and another artist, let me ask him if I have what it takes. And and it took him maybe a minute, and he told me I sucked. (laughs) (laughs) He said, you suck, so you're not going to make it. And, uh, And he was that frank, too, so I'm like, wow, you know. Jeez, you know, maybe I caught him at a bad time, you know. And uh, I remember going into the bathroom, taking my portfolio, and just throwing it in the trash. Oh, shit. I threw it in the trash, and I said, you know, maybe it's not for me. You know, just one guy just ruined my whole day, you know, my whole life. 
And um, I, I didn't start drawing again until I was 19. And um, I met uh, I met a girl, and uh, she was an artist, and that kind of got me back into drawing. Uh, and then with that relationship, uh, you know, it just fell apart. And uh, I used the um, that relationship to fuel my push into comics. You know, I said, okay. So this this chick's a jerk. She just leaves, ups and leaves. So I'm gonna show her. I'm gonna show everybody. You know, I'm I'm doing comics. I'm just gonna do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I started uh, coming up with characters. And uh, I came up with, uh, you know, several uh, characters that were, um, that helped build the, uh, the Razor Mytho. Uh, And then, you know, I'd say about three to four years after I started getting real serious about it, then that's when I uh, created Razor and decided to publish, uh, you know, my own line of comics. So... You know, that's kind of how I got started, you know, <laughs> working in the factories and, uh, you know, drawing during my, my lunch break, and I was able to put together my first book. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a pretty ballsy move, too, just going, well, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and just jump in and do it, especially back in the 90s. When you were, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know shit. So <laughs> I, I met a few guys that, that did uh, their own self-publishing. And the reason I went that route was... I just wanted to tell the stories I wanted to tell mm-hmm. the the way I wanted to tell them. So, you know, if anyone asked, you know, how come you never, you know, tried at uh, Marvel or DC, you know, it, it never, I, I love those comics, but that wasn't the type of storyteller I wanted to be, you know, just kind of telling um, some real, uh, sur- I, I call it surface type of uh product because it just touches the surface it doesn't go too deep and um i just want to tell you know deeper stories you know r-rated stories you know oh sure (laughs) things that adult things adults would uh enjoy reading yeah well and uh, you definitely your comic books aren't afraid of boobs or bloods i mean they are geared for an older audience yeah and you know yeah you know well, and you also kind of hit on, well, you kind of hit on self-publishing and more adult-themed comics and kind of a resurgence of black and white just through serendipity. The time, like, what was that, early early to mid-90s, right? It was when the yeah, next... Yeah, early 90s. Yeah, that's when yeah, the, uh, the next black and white that's, that's self-publishing early. boom hit. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, was... Yeah, I hit at the right time. Um, and... You know, the, the particular niche that I wanted to call out, well, I was a fan of uh, The Crow. I was a fan of uh, really violent uh, books like Faust. You know, I was a fan of all that product. and um, But I noticed their shipping time was very limited. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one book would come out once a year, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... They did great books, but it was hardly enough to feed the fans of that niche. And I knew, okay, 
hello, you know, I like this niche. Let me create something that can incorporate the niche that I like, but it's not being uh, quite fulfilled, you know. So I wanted to create some product that would fill those gaps. And yeah, so, you know, okay, well, because really the only person who had done it, well, I mean, ever full on, but up to that point was really Dave Sim with Cerebus, having a regular yeah. shipping black and white indie comic right. that, that hit every right. month. Yeah. Yeah, with Cerebus, yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. When you first got started, how bad was that learning gap? I mean, what were the first couple hard-cold realities that you got hit with? <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, the, the learning gap was actually fast success. You know, that was the learning gap. Because sometimes, you know, when you, you know, getting success is great. Mm-hmm. But when you get it too fast, then you're really not equipped uh, for the the onslaught of sales and money and things like that. But when you're young and 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 green, you know, oh, you know, sure. no, well, yeah. I mean, it comes with a lot more problems than just drawing comics and putting it out. You know, uh, there's a whole another wave of. Uh, emotions and responsibilities that come with sudden success because the books were selling, uh, you know, from issue zero on, boom. Yeah. So, um, you know, that was the learning curve. It was more about my personal life than uh, the uh, the business life. Well, yeah, because now you got something to lose. And yeah. I'm, yeah. Well, and I'm sure you probably, I assume yeah. you probably hit a point where you got your order for three months from then. And you're like, shit, how do I pay for this? That had to have happened. Well, it was, it was a little crazy. Um, at one time, I think it was back in 96, I was the sixth publisher. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. You're talking Marvel, DC, Dark Horse. Image. Um, image. And was Valiant still blowing up at that point? Uh, I want to say it was Chaos, and then it was uh, London Night Studios, me. That's outstanding. That's really so, cool. Yeah. It was, it was great times. <laughs> so I, I actually had to do a lot of growing up uh, just as a person. Uh, during that the heyday of comics, the the nineties, you know, mm-hmm. the big speculator uh, bubble uh, that soon popped at the end of the decade, and that's the the lessons that really hit home. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making good money all the way up until the end of the decade, and then all of a sudden sales are dropping like rocks. You know, just Basically, sales are just cutting in half with every uh, month. And, um, you know, really didn't know how to handle that. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a time to, to leave, leave the industry. And that's what I did. At the, uh, the last book was um, uh, the Razor Crow crossover in 1999. And after that, I took a break. Well, I, I essentially quit to never return, but it it became a break. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Because something that you love, you know, it's going to call to you. And eventually, 
you got to give in. And, um, and so that's when I returned back to, uh, you know, to, to comics is something that I love as a child. So, you know, I'm came back. And that was in uh, 2013, yeah. Well, um, so you did, your character Razor crossed over with the crow. First off, how cool was that? It was very cool. Very cool. Because I know you're a fan of the crows. I mean, that had to be like shitting in tall cotton when you got there, yeah. Yeah, and it was uh, was put together by uh, the crow uh, movie producer, Jeff Most, who also... The uh, producer of the uh, the Razor, uh, the Razor ad- adaptation. So he set it up to you know make the crossover happen, and um, it did. And you know I I like the story. I like how it came out. I like the artwork uh, from uh, Jerry Beck. You know, really um, sort of like a Bernie Wrightsonish style, and mm-hmm. I really like how that came out. Yeah, you know, I'll yeah. bet you, I'll bet you if I really went and tore my garage apart and got into my old long boxes, I bet you I've still got that. You probably had that, yeah. Yeah, because I remember that was one when I saw that come out, I was like, holy shit, got to get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I got, I got a couple questions I asked comic book uh, mm-hmm. publishers specifically, self-publishers. So when you went to press with your first comic and you you had it in your hand, the first printed edition. What was the yeah. emotional, what was the emotional wherewithal of that? How did you feel? What was that like? Well, I mean, it's like having a new baby, mm-hmm. you know, it's really, uh, it's hard to put into words and, you know, printing books, it just gives you that, that, that feeling. Even now you still have that feeling when a new book comes, you know, through the door. When it comes, you know, from the uh, uh, printers and you've got that in your hand, it's like, man, it feels good, you know? Yeah. And then, so when that starts going, what is the bigger emotional thing? What what affected you the most? Was it getting that first one done or seeing your sales constantly ramp up over that decade? Wow. Um, well, you know, having that first book done is, is, there's nothing like that. Yeah. You know, that, that's it. That's like that first, that first hit, you know, like that, uh, you know, guys that do heroin, you know, that first hit, you can't, you know, can't You're, taste it again. You'll be chasing that dragon <laughs> the rest of your life. Yeah. That's it, man. Yeah. You know, so that first book really is, um, because it was, it's been such a big dream and how I put it together. Um, and then, you know, using like tax return money to pay for it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like $400 uh, tax return check. And I used that to pay for the first book. And, uh, and I was able to, I remember sitting in the kitchen, you know, signing all those books to, to ship to the uh, distributor and, uh, yeah, good memories, good memories. That's pretty awesome. And it had to be a hell of a sense of accomplishment that you, Somebody who an artist literally told that you suck and you'll never make it. Never, yep. Not yep. only did you not only did you write the script and illustrate the pages, you got that sucker into uh, into Diamond in, into the pre- uh, previews and sold and shipped out. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a sense of accomplishment right there. 
I know. Good. I know a lot of <laughs> a lot of my early twenties. I felt pretty accomplished when I got a pack of like or a six pack of imported beer instead of Bud Light. There you uh, go. So that's, that's I mean that's that's really reaching for the stars what you did. So when you <laughs> got, yeah I mean, oh, go ahead yeah good. I was gonna say so when you got to the end of the nineties and you I mean, the writing for comic books was on the wall. I mean it. You know, Valiant yeah. had taken its toll. Image had fucked up shipping for all the independents because yeah. now if you missed a deadline because of Image, you were fucked. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what... it, was, it was done. I, I just thought, you know, it was the end, it was fun while it lasted, and uh, I needed to move on. And yeah. I, I moved on for a while. <laughs> Until what... technology caught up and... Um, the, the birth of digital comics. And that's what brought me out of retirement. That's pretty amazing, too. Yeah, so now you don't have to have the financial backing up front because you can do print-on-demand or right. um, whatever else. Um, was there one thing in particular that you saw at, in 2013 when you were getting ready to get back into this? You're like, oh, I can do this again. And here's how. What was it, or what was the start of that idea for you to head down that path again? Oh, it, it definitely uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter okay. was the catalyst that showed me that people just sitting at home, they can draw, write, and put together books, or have friends that can put together books, can succeed and and become very profitable in the comic market without ever going into a comic shop. That's the, the one thing I took from it is like, okay, there's some guys on here that are in, in none of the preview catalogs of the um, distributor. They're in no comic book shops, but yet they are bringing in six figures on their Kickstarter campaigns making big sales on their websites and we've never even heard of these people. And I seen that as a hallelujah moment. It was a hallelujah moment. <laughs> I said, this can be done. People are, are actually uh, making money without doing the same thing um, that I did back in the nineties. You know, you don't have to distribute your comics the same way. Um, with the comic book shop, the way the comic book shops are doing it right now, it's it's kind of sad because they're missing out on a lot of good product, a lot of good stories from um, uh, from artists and creators that you won't see uh, going through uh, normal comic book distributors. Oh sure, you, just, you know so. Well, because one of the things is. Out. Yeah, if you've got a self-publisher, say, living in the Carolinas or wherever, he can't get out to California, Nevada, Washington, Oregon, Montana, Idaho to visit mm -hmm. all the stores, to shake hands with all the store owners to say, hey, here's my work, right. give me a chance. But now, right. now digitally, they can do the equivalent of that. Yes. Right. And... um Yeah, I haven't tried, but, you know, people say that Diamond, you know, which is the only distributor of comics, uh, pretty much, you know, to the, uh, the comic shops in uh, North America and I, I think internationally as well, but they are making it very difficult for uh, 
indie creators to sell their product through their catalog. Mm-hmm. They they put some, you know, some really funky um, stipulations on creators, and you know, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it's like, you know, I, there there's a sense of power to being indie, right? Especially now, people want independent, hands-on, from me to you. They like that, and that's why Kickstarter is so successful. They they like it. <laughs> the fans want that connection to the uh, creator, right. and not some um, corporate uh, corporate curtain in between you and the creators. Well, and it gives the fan a sense of almost ownership of something too when they step in and they're like, yeah. "Hey, you know, I helped get this to market. I, you know, I, right, right, I, yeah." And everybody likes to be on the ground floor of things. You know, I believed in this before it was even printed, kind of sense. Right. And I tell you, right now, I mean, I have um, I have some good fans. Uh, some guys um, that have uh, been helping me ever since I've returned to, um, to comics in uh, 2013. You know, they uh, some good people out here that want to see new razor, new art from me. They want to see this thing succeed. So, you know, I got some guys in my corner and I'm very appreciative. You know, I'm I'm very appreciative. No, that's outstanding. Um, So I got to ask before we move on to what you're working on now, though, that 13 or 14 years where you took downtime, you (laughs) you were, you were still writing and drawing though, right? Uh, no, I no? was not. Okay. <laughs> I was not doing anything comic book related. Um, I became a photographer and uh, built up a, a photography and a, a web uh, online marketing uh, company. You know, we would uh, create uh, affiliate websites and then sell those websites to, to bigger uh, website people. You know? Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Hey, you know, I I did that for over a decade and was was very successful in that as well. So, um, but the love of comics brought me back, and I figured I could use my um, experience with online uh, and take that experience and merge it with you know creating comics and see what happens. Right. You know, so yeah. Um, well, real quick, since we're going to start talking about what you're working on now, uh, if people want to find you on the internet and check out some of your artwork and uh, you know projects you have going on, where can they find you at? Uh, right now, I have all my um, uh, my archive of all the things I've done at HeartSoulStudios.com. So everything's uh, PDF, digital downloads. Um, I'll be adding physical product to that store. Uh, in the coming months, but uh, right now it's just digital, and that is uh, heartsostudios.com. And uh, I also have a Patreon page uh, where people can uh, follow me and get the day-to-day updates. Like my patrons, they get stuff that no one sees. When I'm working on sketches or a design or an idea, boom, I put it up on Patreon for those guys and... uh, it's it's like having a, a front row seat inside my studio. So if I come up with an idea, I just put it on there. You know, so 
So you you kind of treat them like a sounding board too. Exactly. If I uh, right, if something uh, I have questions about, I'll go to them, uh, take a poll. You know, maybe do a little voting system to see which way to go on on a particular uh, idea. So yeah, you know, I, I like to involve the fans as as well. You know, because it's it's really their company. Mm-hmm. They they are the reason I'm still doing this. That's pretty astounding. Um, and just to let let the cat out of the bag a little bit, uh, your wife uh, Michelle, when I talked to her, said that you've got a son who's one hell of a storyteller as well. He is. He really is. Uh, he he has a pretty wild imagination. Comes up with some great names. Um, you know, he'll be a published uh, comic book writer before he's sixteen. So yeah, that's that'll be kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> I have to push it, you know. Well, he's and a kid, yeah, up, you got to keep it in front of him. you got to push it, you, yeah. you know. He, he loves something, he has some talent, he has a drive to complete his own little uh, 20-page indie comics. You know, he draws those and he completes them. He's done like 17 of his own comics in the past, uh, I think, two years. So, that's impressive as hell. Yeah, she yeah, when, yeah. I, when when I interviewed her, she's like, he'll go up to his room and then come out at the end of the day with like a finished comic book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's crazy. I wish I had his dedication. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a real battle for me. You know. Well, that's um, gonna be really cool for him because when you know when you go to dad and say, hey, I'm gonna do comic books. Well, my dad was a plumber. My dad's like, shut up and grab the shovel. So for, yeah. So for him, he goes, "Hey dad, I want to make comics." And Everett looks at his son and goes, "Fucking hey, here's a pen." You know. Right. You know. Yeah. Hey, I, <laughs> I think he can do it. So. Uh, yeah. So it's it's fun, and uh, you know we have a lot of things planned. Um, we will be opening up uh, Hearts of Games uh, this summer, and um, he'll play a big part in that because. Uh, We'll be uh, developing board games, indie board games, and card games. So nice, just a lot of fun. You know, wow. I get to design the little uh, figurines and stuff. So I'm pretty excited about that. No, that sounds like a lot of fun. Now, is, little- you've got this huge creative family now and this catalog. Do you think? For somebody who's just thinking about getting into indie creation or wanting to do an indie comic, would you recommend that they diversify as much as possible? Like, have a card game, a comic book. You know, in your your guys' case, you have a tarot deck, comic books, uh, movies, uh, you know, just on and on and on and on. So, I mean, is that something you would suggest to somebody is, like, try to get as much product together as quickly as possible? Or what, what, would, you, um, what would your advice be? My advice for... Uh a new indie creator coming up, I would have uh, established several IPs. Mm-hmm. You know, go ahead and uh, cook up your comic book stories, create a few. And um, it, it does help if those few comics cover uh, several genres. So, you know, right now, Hollywood is hot and heavy, and they need comics. I mean, they're hungry for it. So if you're an indie creator... Man, go make your characters. Make these IPs, intellectual properties. Make them. And um, you'll be able to pitch these to Hollywood. Uh, 
it's, I mean, right now it's a feeding frenzy. So it, it really, um, uh, it makes me sad when I see really talented um, writers and artists that only have one goal, to work for Marvel or DC. It's like, man, the world is a lot bigger than those two companies. A lot bigger. It, it's, a, it's a lot bigger than the comic shop itself. You know, which, that, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, that means that, you know, comics will outgrow these shops that, that try to keep it as uh, one or two uh, types of companies, you know. And that's, that's what I'm looking at. Well, and the problem... The, the actual... Yeah. I was going to say, the problem with the direct market is there is literally no... There's no incentive for a shop owner to do anything but carry the 100 biggest titles. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, he can't really afford to to look uh, my way. He can't afford to look at some new indie creator that just popped up on Kickstarter because his budget is so tight trying to hit those uh, sales goals mm-hmm. with Marvel, uh, you know, Dark Horse, Image, you know, every every company in that upper echelon has these incentive packages, you know, buy a hundred of this book and you can get this, you know, free book or whatever. And I'm telling you, it just straps these comics uh, store owners, just straps them. It really yeah. hurts their butt. And, you know, honestly, the stories suck. <laughs> I mean, you know, people are compl- complaining, you know, hey, Barbara, what are you doing? These stories, you know, they kind of suck, dude. Uh, DC, yeah, you're you going to relaunch the uh, universe again? Okay, cool. You know, for the fifth time this year, <laughs> they'll start all new number ones. So it, it looks like the, the big corporations are, are running out of gas. They, they really are running out of gas. And um, I think we're having a renaissance with the indie creators because they're telling these wild, fresh stories that, you know, <laughs> that are, are quite surprising and and a lot of times it's very good yeah so, well, uh, and there's probably been pent-up demand for about 20 years i i believe last year comics sold the best they had for 20 years like since 1997 which oh, means wow. that yeah which means that there's been a pent-up demand for risk-taking and i'm sure black and yeah. white or some things that large companies just won't do but then how do you get the word out that somebody is doing it? Um, yeah. So let me ask you, what have you been doing to get out there and let people know? Uh, what, what's the name of your new studio? I, I know you're not using London Night anymore, and I'm sorry for not reading up. What, what are you calling your, your publishing house now? Uh, house of Hearts. House of Hearts. So what do you, Everett Hearts, do to get the word of House of Hearts out there and on the street? It is. It really is all about social networking right now. Mm-hmm. If you have no internet presence, or social networking presence, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, there's, there's, you know, YouTube. Use all these tools. Um, you have to, and that's pretty much how I'm getting the word out there is through these um, 
internet channels like Kickstarter and um, Patreon and, it, of course, you know, Facebook and things like that. You have to be out there. And uh, I, sometimes you have to be a shameless whore. You know, <laughs> you got to be out there pimping all the time. Um, because if you're not, somebody else is. Well, yeah, and I wouldn't even call that being a shameless whore. It's just if you're... Yeah, it's not being a shameless whore. Yeah, no, no, no. But, you know, it's I, I think, like, professionally, I'm a salesman. That's, like, my regular day job. And right, right. my motto is nothing happens until you make a sale. A truck doesn't move. A dollar doesn't change hands. Nothing happens until you sell. And the first step in selling is shaking a hand and slapping somebody on the back. You know That's what I mean? It. Fuck, man. You want a shot yeah. of whiskey? Here's a shot of whiskey. You tell me what I need to do to get you in this. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I sit back and um, I'm trying to create product that um, that will that will sell, you know, that I hope will sell. I mean, sometimes I come up with something that, no, that's not going to sell. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. So, um, I don't know. It's the same idea about just keep to myself. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, yeah, we all got to have right those. Now, yeah, but right now I'm working on a new Razor story. Razor Scars is the 150-page um, uh, graphic novel that um, has been slow uh, getting out. I'm doing all the work on it from uh, uh, the writing, the drawing, the inking, the, uh, the lettering, yeah, the, the whole production. I'm doing it all myself, <laughs> and you know I have to do it in between life. You know, oh, sure. um, you know, have to do that. So it's been kind of slow, a little slower than I um, wanted it to be. But um, we're about thirty percent away uh, from having this thing complete. All right, on. I want it to be complete before the summer. No, I'm. See, I've got a idea for a graphic novel I cooked up probably 15 years ago that this last year I've actually decided I'm going to, I'm going to hire a writer to help me get it from, you know, my, my four page outline to an actual script and then try to hire an artist to finish it. I I can tell you that's trickier than some people would think it is because now I'm about eight months into looking for a writer and I've had to fire one guy and lost contact with two. You know, wow, okay. and it, well, yeah. it's just it's just one of those things because I'm sure people who have never tried it, you know, they hear you say, "Well, it takes a while to get shit done." Well, guys, until you do it, you can't judge how long anything takes to get done. You know, M- right. mowing the lawn right. takes a long time the first time you do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and this is a it's a passion project. Uh, it's very close to me, so there are times when I do get you know blocked. And it's the most frustrating uh, moments in my life to be blocked from uh, drawing and writing this project. And it's like, oh, you know, so I have to do a series of rituals in order to break the block to, to get back to, uh, to this project. And uh, so it's been, it's slow, you know, a, a few pages here, a few pages there. Um, if something pops up in my head, I'm like, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that scene will work, okay. So, yeah, I'm putting this thing together like James Cameron's doing the uh, sequel to Avatar, you know, so it's yeah. taking a while. 
It'll, it'll take some time. Um, well, as we start to run down on time here, I do want to get into, you have branched into filmmaking as well. A couple of your properties are being made into movies. A, how awesome is that? Yeah, that's a good feeling. That, that, uh, that's the goal, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that and, is the goal. Well, and most importantly, or probably what I would think most importantly, your original actual published work is headed to the big screen. That um, is cool. Yeah, that was just recently announced. Matter of fact, it was so recently announced that there's still some things that have yet to be announced and you can't talk about. But um, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, right now, a uh, razor, um, which is being produced by uh, Jeff Most, uh, the producer of The Crow. We have our uh, writer and director Rob Cohen. He is um, a thirty-year vet out of Hollywood that uh, that launched some of the biggest franchises such as The Fast and the Furious, um, The Mummy, Triple uh, X with Vin Diesel. I mean, this, this guy's Hollywood pedigree. And when he wrote the script and said he was going to direct it, I, I just lost it. I'm like, whoa, it, this is good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is as good as it gets here. So um, I was very happy, very happy with the script too. Um, he he really read the books, and a lot of that will show through the script, you know. So it, it, it feels good. They mm-hmm. um, they will be in the uh, can can uh, film festival in mm-hmm. May to uh, work on uh, distribution. Oh, fantastic. The Ranger, yeah. And my first film is on Netflix right now, and that is uh, uh, The Curse of Sleeping Beauty. So you can actually still uh, check that out. It's, uh, you know, based on the comic book of the same name, Curse of Sleeping Beauty, and it's uh, just a dark take on the, the Brother Grimm's classic. So I just, you know, make it a twisted version of that. And, uh yeah. Made it into a movie and it's on Netflix and here we go. We're yeah. make some more. There you go. That's pretty awesome. All right, <laughs> every uh, once again, why don't you tell us where everybody can catch up on your stuff? Yeah, check me out on Patreon at eheartshow.com and check out all my work at heartshowstudios.com. Excellent. Um, I'm also going to ask that you add me to your media emails when you send out uh, press releases and that sort of thing. I'd love to get them so I can get as much word out as I can help with. Uh, so, so please do that. Also, I'd uh, love to have you back on after you make some announcements about what you're doing with Razor, if that'd be possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, I've had a hell of a time talking to you. It was nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks it for taking good. It was fun. Yeah, th- yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, everybody, go check out Everett Hartso's projects at eheartso.com and hartsostudios.com. Is that the other one? Yes, it is. All right. And in the meantime, everybody, check us out at geekishcast.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. We tweet from at the geekishcast. We'll see you all soon. Everett, thanks again, man. Thank you. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zeus. Check them out at reignofzeus.net.
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.